Coming to you live from the basement of an abandoned house in the middle of a field, it's the Derek Izzy Show. Making history his story, Derek Izzy. You're listening to The Derek Izzy Show. Welcome back for another month of this great podcast, bringing you history and making it his story. Today's episode is a positive, uplifting episode. We generally like to talk about tragedy, true crime, and horrible events that have taken place throughout history, but not today. Today, you will receive a positive message from this episode. If you enjoy positivity in your life, one of the ways that you can spread this positivity is to click on the link in the show notes. That link will take you to a PayPal donation where you can donate $1 to The Derek Izzy Show. If you have $1 to spare, that will keep the lights on in the studio and keep the broadcast team going. All we ask is $1 per episode. $1 is not too much to ask, but just click on that link and help us spread a positive message. $1 is all we ask. Thank you in advance for your gratuity. Born on April 13, 1944, the topic of our podcast was born to immigrant parents. While he was born in the United States, his parents had immigrated from other countries, his mother being Greek and his father being Italian. While being born to married parents, by the time he was two, his parents had divorced. Growing up on the West Coast in California, the neighborhood that was home to the topic of our podcast was primarily European, Asian, and Hispanic. You know, as a child growing up in your neighborhood, you generally tend to assume that the rest of the world is exactly like your neighborhood because that's all you ever know. And if you never get the chance to leave your neighborhood, then it truly is all you ever know. And back when the topic of our podcast grew up, the internet was not around, so you couldn't see other areas of the country unless you actually went there and explored or maybe in a magazine, but you really didn't know how the rest of the world lived. But the topic of our podcast was an entrepreneur at heart. At the age of nine, he took his first job. He was going door to door selling Christmas cards. This young man had an underlying entrepreneurial spirit that would drive him to continue to expand his efforts. By the time he was 11, he had a paper route. His routine was to wake up early before school, deliver newspapers, and then attend school all day. Looking for direction as he graduated high school, he joined the United States Navy. After several years in the Navy, he left the service and started selling encyclopedias. He definitely had a talent ever since being a child for going door-to-door and selling things. But being this natural salesperson did not carry over into every type of product. Throughout his early sales career, he tried to sell different products, going from encyclopedias to selling insurance, 
And then eventually he wound up in the publishing business. He got a job as a sales manager. While his sales skills were excellent, he found that he had many disagreements with the upper level of management in this particular company. He actually made the suggestion that they should raise commissions and spend less time micromanaging the salespeople. Use that financial incentive to get them to sell better instead of riding them, looking over their shoulder, and supervising them every day. This was the end of his career as a sales manager. He was really struggling to find out where he fit in. He started selling hair care products for a company called Redkin. He really learned a lot about the hair care industry, and he found he had a knack for it. He understood how to sell the products, and he started learning about how the products work and what people wanted from their hair care products. But making a living selling hair care products is not the most lucrative career decision. And unfortunately, the topic of our podcast would experience some tragic events. Events in his personal life. His first wife would leave him with a two-year-old. He would end up living in his car. These were all experiences that he would have to overcome that made him the man he is today. Like I said, this was a positive, uplifting story. So I will say that he overcame his personal struggles and the struggle of being homeless. But I'll let him tell you his story. You know, a lot of people ask how I got into donating to various causes and how I got involved in even homelessness along the way and popped out of it. Well, it's a very interesting story. My mom has a lot to do with it. At six years old, we didn't have any money. There was my mother, my brother, and I. We had a deadbeat dad, left us before we were two. But she took us at Christmas time to downtown Los Angeles. We had little cars going around in circles. It was pretty cool. Anyways, and decorations in the window. She gave my brother and I a dime and told us, boys, hold half of it each. Give it to the man ringing the bell in the bucket. We put it in this bucket. We said, Mom, why do we give that man a dime? That's like two soda pops. This is 1951. Two soda pops, three candy bars. And Mom said, boys, that's the Salvation Army. Now, they take care of people that have no place to live and no food. And we don't have a lot of money, but we could afford a dime this year. Boys, always remember in life, give a little something to those in need. There'll always be somebody that's not as well off as you are, no matter where you are or how far down you are. Try and help someone along the way. It stuck with me. First time I was homeless, I was 22 and a half years old, and I had a two and a half year old son. I was uh, working as the master of ceremonies at the second annual sports vacation recreational vehicle show, and I had a check coming in at the end of the week. Well, I came home, and I drove around one car up to where we lived, and as I was getting out of the car and going up towards our apartment door, my wife, we were very young, by we got married at 20 and 19 years old. My wife was coming down the stairs, and she said, I'm going to the store. She took the keys. By the time I got through the door, I saw my little boy, two and a half years old, kind of just sitting there on top of a pile of clothes with a note that basically said, I can't handle being a mom anymore. He'll be much better off with you. Good luck. Now, what I didn't know also was that she had planned this for a few months. She had not paid the rent for a few months and kept the money, and I didn't know that. Uh, She wiped out what little we had in the savings account in the bank, Uh, and took the only car we had. So unbeknownst to me, two days later, I was evicted, completely evicted. Power shut off, the landlord, she just really timed this one. And I had this little kid with me, two and a half years old, and now I had to be mom and dad, and that was really a bummer. I had no car. 
So I ended up borrowing a 1951 Cadillac with a broken water pump from someone that was very, very dear, had put water in it every four hours, and that's kind of how we got going. Second time I was homeless is when I started John Paul Mitchell Systems. I knew I needed half a million dollars to start John Paul Mitchell Systems. Had to have that. So we had the backer lined up. I had a good job at the time, lived in a nice house, and I left everything I had because half a million dollars was coming in down the street. I was going to start a company. So I left it all behind. I left what money I had with my wife. We weren't getting along well at all. And uh, the best car. And I took the older car. It was a good one, but an older car. It ran good. Uh, down the hill to get my money. I would check into an efficiency hotel. And then, because I'd be traveling a lot, and eventually get an apartment. When I went down the hill, the backer pulled out. No money. Well, it was later that afternoon that a friend of mine found me and said, John Paul, please call Dick Holthouse. Direct collect in England. He doesn't have the best news for you. So I got a hold of him. For him, it was the wee hours of the morning. And he said, JP, the backer pulled out. The reason he pulled out was inflation in the United States was 12.5%, unemployment 10%, actually over 10%. Interest rates, if you could get a loan, prime rate was 17% interest. And we still had hostages that I ran, and we waited in line for gasoline. That was the environment in the United States in uh 1980 and 1981. Well, there I was, a few hundred dollars in my pocket, too proud to ask my mother if I could have my old room back for my in the home and she could feed me for a couple of months to get back on my feet. And I just left my living situation. I was too proud, stupid, but very, very proud. So I went by and saw my mom and uh, you know, I was borrowed a couple hundred dollars from her. I said, Mom, I'll give it back to you. She said, Son, you're doing really well in life. Why do you need a few hundred dollars? I said, Mom. I'll give it back to you. I'm starting something new. Uh, and that's when I decided I'm going to make it on my own. I'm not going to tell her. Lived in my car. Showered down at Griffith Park because they had tennis courts there with showers in it. And uh, learned how to live off very little and go and sell products door to door. When I was homeless, on my mind was not, oh, my God, how did I get here? Who's to blame on this? What was in my mind was, Okay, after I cried a little bit, the two-and-a-half-year-old son, not knowing what to do, no money, no nothing, my first thought was, okay, I need to get some money. I don't want to go to my mom's house and tell her how bad things are. I need to get money to eat. And we're, we're sources of money. We don't have any money. So I went around collecting soda pop bottles from empty lots. And at that time, a grocery store or any liquor store would give you two cents for a little one, five cents for a big one. Went around, collected a lot of them, cash in, and that's how we got the money. And so we were able to eat. Now, when I got evicted out of the house uh, three days later, uh, this is when I was 22 and a half years old, when I was completely evicted, now we had that car I had borrowed to live in, and we went more towards fast foods that were halfway prepared for you. Those are the early days of fast food, just to eat. A few days later, uh, a friend of mine found me because he knew I was hanging out, talked to some friends of mine named Lee Meyer. And Lee said, Johnny, I've got a house with an extra room. He was a biker, a real heavy-duty biker. And he says, you and your son could live here till you get on your feet. Uh, no problem. We could have some of the biker mamas take care of your son while you're working. And uh, let's move on. We're buddies. And that was a big helping hand. I think whether you have money or don't have money, it's very important to give back. 
because it's we the people, the individuals, that make the planet better so that this doesn't happen again. It makes it better for other people. It's we the people. If we don't help others out and people start going down, then what do we expect as future customers or future people to help us out if we were in trouble? So I feel that every human being has the obligation, pay a little bit of rent for being on this planet, to do something good for their city or their state or their country or even the world to make it a better place to live. Now, if you don't have any money, it's okay. You could volunteer like I do when I have any money at uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas, up at Griffith Park in California, helping feed the homeless, or do something to help somebody else out to make the world a better place to live. Now, who benefits by this? Whenever you do something for somebody else and ask absolutely nothing in return, you get the greatest high you could ever have in your life, and it makes you more connected with the whole planet. A lot of people think they have to give a huge amount of money to make the impact. Well, I would disagree with them. Because I remember back, my mom, where we had almost nothing, knew the importance of giving two little boys a dime to put in the bucket because she knows dimes became many dimes, many dollars, and many $10 bills. But every little bit gives back, every little bit. So no matter how little you give or how little of your time you donate, you've done a little something. That little something makes a difference. There he was, in his own words, the topic of our podcast. And some of the things that I found interesting were some of the rules that he valued during his success. Rule number one, always prepare for rejection. He says, you will knock on doors throughout your career. Many of them will close on you. There will be people who don't like your product, your company, or just you in general. It's important to realize this from the day you launch your business. To be successful, you must remain as confident and enthusiastic on door number 50 as you were when you knocked on door number one. If you realize ahead of time that this is going to happen, the rejection won't hit you so hard. It will help you be more resilient. Rule number two, make sure your product or service is the best it can be. Always remember You don't want to be in the product business. You want to be in the reorder business. Work hard to develop a world-class product that customers actually want. That kind of thinking gives you a better shot at being a success. Rule number three, doing good is good for you and your business. If a business wants to stay in business, it can't just think of today's bottom line. It must make a company commitment to help others immediately. By helping others, you are creating future customers and inspiring employee loyalty. Customers like to be involved with people and businesses that donate their time to help others save the planet and make a difference. At the time this article was written, the topic of our podcast company, which was started in 1980, had only turned over less than 100 employees. His inspirational story has created a company where work and personal life are both valued. In going into the day-to-day of his life, he talks about having a personal chef who makes lunch for him every day when he's visiting in Texas. Every employee who works at their headquarters also gets free lunch. He says, I believe you have to treat your people well. Eating good food is part of that. As one of the founders of several companies now. He doesn't have the time to micromanage everything, but he does stay personally involved. He will go out with day one employees and teach them how to sell. 
He'll meet with customers. While he does manage several companies as a billionaire now, he's always in tune with the front line of his organizations. I talked about his belief in building a business that helps other people. Him personally and his businesses have contributed millions and millions of dollars to different charitable organizations. He created Grow Appalachia, an organization that helps promote healthy food and teach farming skills. He's had several crazy ideas as well. He has a line of alcoholic beverages, created a new type of cell phone, and has dipped his toe into the medical industry. Some memorable quotes from the topic of our podcast. He says, I don't use email or a computer. I would be so inundated that I wouldn't be able to get any work done. Instead, I do everything in person or on the phone. Living the life of a billionaire... He's involved in a group called The Giving Pledge. It's a group of billionaires, Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, Ted Turner, who have all pledged to give away most of their money to charity. They meet generally once a year for three days and just talk about how they can make the world a better place. Now that you've heard it from him in his own words, and you've learned a little more about this formerly homeless person, now successful billionaire. If you'd like to learn more, there's also a documentary about him. It's called Good Fortune. If you have a chance, go ahead and check that out. But the topic of today's podcast was none other than John Paul DeJoria, because now you know the rest of the story. Thank you for tuning in, helping us spread this message of positivity from rags to riches. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Derek Izzy Show. Show your enjoyment by donating $1. Click on that PayPal link in the show notes. Send $1 our way to let us know that we did a good job and you enjoyed this episode. And as always, tune in next month for an episode about one of the most vicious serial killers in American history that you've probably never heard of. Good day. Thank you.